Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we thank you that you give us your word, that you give us things to pay attention to, and that you expect us to follow you. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we should finish up with First Timothy. Uh, Timothy. And over the month of December, we're going to do a series that I don't always do, but we happen to finish this one up just right. Uh, just a series of different stories leading up to the advent of Jesus. Uh, don't, you know, don't know, haven't figured out which ones I'm going to cover this year. Uh, probably need to go back and look at what I covered last year. <laughs> so we'll have different ones to, to cover this year. Uh, so I want to pray about that. And then in January, I plan to start the book of Nahum. So everybody can find, start finding out where Nahum is in your book, your Bible. It's, it's, it, it's one of those little tiny books in the Old Testament uh, uh, between the, the big books of Daniel to Malachi. It's in the middle there. So give you a chance to find out in your concordance where it's at. Mark it with a bookmark so you'll be able to find it. Uh, but then we'll have some new pew Bibles as well, and we'll tell you where, the, where it is in the pew Bibles. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I've looked at is I've been going to church for many, many years and I don't think more than maybe once in all those years that I ever hear any of the minor prophets preached on a Sunday morning. Now, I've heard the minor prophets three or four times in the evening services, you know, evening studies and everything. But I just think it's important for all of us to get to know some of these books that, you know, many of you may not have even read Nahum in your lifetime, unless you've been reading the Bible through each year. I just want to make an encouragement uh, because there's some really good things in those small books that nobody reads. Uh, so, but today we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 20 and 21. O Timothy, keep that which was committed to your trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of knowledge falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. The first to Timothy was written in Laodicea, which was the chiefest city in Pergamon, Pasitiana. All right, so Paul's last encouragement to Timothy in this book is, keep that which was committed to your trust. What was committed to his trust? The gospel message. <laughs> all the other things in that, all the things we've been covering for, for months, you know, to honor God, to lift up God, to to watch how he's living. And he says, keep, guard. And this is a very powerful word. He's telling them, watch what you've been taught. You know, James tells us to not be forgetful hearers. And it says basically the same thing. You know, many of us end up being somebody who hears the word of God, goes in one ear, right out the other ear, and doesn't stop at the brain for, for more than a couple seconds. And God's saying, Keep what you hear. When you hear God's word, apply it to your life. Turn it into wisdom. Too many of us have all of these things where we go, God, I know lots of things. You know, and what really is important is, is it becoming wisdom to us? Are we truly applying what God says? Because many of us can hear God's word. Many of us can be told what is right and what is wrong. But if it doesn't come out and live for us, it's, it's a total waste of time. 
The book of Proverbs is all through that. Despise not wisdom. Don't turn away from wisdom. Don't, you know, and he says, keep wisdom. Let wisdom have its way in you. Uh, the book of Psalms has many of those same type of ideas. When we hear God's word, he expects us to listen to his word. Kind of like us as parents, we expect our kids to listen and be obedient. Well, God, being a good parent, expects us to hear what he says and obey. And if we don't, sin has consequence. Uh, and I keep bringing that up because somehow we tend to forget that, that sin has consequence. Because God's not right there in our area saying, because you did this, this is what's going to happen. Because usually we get those consequences and we forget we did something to make the consequence happen. So we just want to encourage us, guard. Guard what you have learned. Keep it. And, and make sure that you're doing this because God is not going to hold us blameless. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to say, this is what I told you. Why didn't you obey? Or congratulations, you, obey, you did obey and you're going to be rewarded for it. Then he tells them, this is very interesting, avoid profane and vain babbling, babblings and oppositions of knowledge falsely so called. Avoid, shun, stay away from. You know, at first he says, vain, uh, profane and vain babblings. Profane literally means common. Okay, and vain babbling, empty, devoid of any value speaking. How many of us spend much of our time in vain babbling? Okay, uh, in profane things. And profane things nece aren't necessarily bad and evil. Remember what I said, profane is the common. How much evil do we let into our brain and our life on each day, each week? Okay. may not even really be awful, but the question is, is it godly? Is it redemptive? Because if it's not godly and redemptive, it keeps us in the world, and we're kind of standing in one foot in the common, common things and one foot where God is, and we end up being drawn into the common more often than not. And we want to be very careful about this because God wants us to spend time in the holy, in the righteous. You know, and this is what we've said over and over. If you keep company with those that are evil, those that are even just profane, common all the time, we will be drawn into their sphere more often than we draw them into the righteous sphere. And even within the righteous sphere of people, it's easy to get caught up with all the silly babblings. How many times have you been talking with somebody and the next thing you know you're, you're talking about people? You're gossiping, you're, you're saying things you probably shouldn't be, be saying, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what am I doing? How, how, did I, how did I get here? Profane and empty babbling. So easy to get there. We, what do we fill our minds with each day? How much time do we spend watching TV, watching movies that aren't edifying, reading magazines and books that aren't edifying. You know, and there's nothing wrong with being entertained. 
But as I've said so many times, if you're being entertained, how much time are you spending in God's word? You know, and I've said, you know, God wants a tithe of our time as well as a tithe of our, of our actual possessions. And that just means a simple, you know, 2.4 hours a day, two and a half hours a day, you know, 14 hours a week. Now, if you come to church, all the times we have Bible studies, that still only gives you about half of your 14 hours. You still need to find another seven, seven hours someplace. But how much time do you spend with God? You know, and this is something that's very important for us. You know, if I want to know God, I have to spend time with him. You know, an example has been, how much time do you spend with your spouse? If you don't spend any time with your spouse, it's hard to really get to know them. Okay, we're married. I'm going to spend three minutes a day with you. I hope you're happy. I spent three minutes a day with you. I said hi and, and hi and see you later. Your marriage won't last very long if that's what you're sp- investing into it. And if you, even if you don't get divorced, you don't have a relationship. Many of us, that's our relationship with God. Good morning, God. How are you doing? See you later. You know, don't read my Bible. Don't spend time listening to him. Don't spend time with his people. Don't spend time in prayer. And you know, it's so easy to do that. I understand how easy it is to do that. You sleep in. You don't have time to, to talk to him before you start your day. You get busy with your day. You get to the end of your day, and you get busy doing whatever it is you did. And you start laying down, and you go, oh, my goodness, I haven't read my Bible. I haven't spent much time. God, let me pray, pray to you while I'm, while I'm laying in bed, and the next thing you know, it's morning. You know, and you said, hi, God. <laughs> you know, we need to be careful. How easy is it to do this stuff? It is super easy. It's super easy to find yourself talking about the stuff you shouldn't be talking about, tearing people down, not edifying people. And Paul is saying, Timothy, guard yourself. Guard your heart. Guard your thinking. Paul in the, in the Corinthians says, put every thought into captivity. God wants to put our thoughts into captivity to his word, to his being. And it's very important for us to be able to guard, put ourselves under his authority. Then he says, and oppositions of knowledge falsely so-called. And if you read in the King James, it says science, and that's incorrect because the word in the Hebrew is gnosis, which is knowledge. Okay? Guard knowledge falsely so-called. In our day and world, we get a whole bunch of knowledge that is contrary to Bible, contrary to what goes on, and contrary to what God says. You know, some of it is called even science. Okay? We have evolution being taught to all these people. Our evolution is not science, contrary to what the scientists try to tell you, because nobody was there, nobody saw it, nobody can repeat the experiment of starting something from nothing. It's very hard to do an experiment of getting something from nothing, because getting nothing is virtually impossible. Uh, and then sitting there and watching nothing to see if something becomes something out of the nothing is an experiment that's not going to happen. And they can tell us, well, well, we can make life out of, out of nothing, or we can make, actually, they say we can make amino acids out of nothing. Well, yeah, we can if we do a lot of planning. We still can't make the amino acids turn into life, but we can make an amino acid by 
putting the right chemicals together and, and doing enough stuff, which just proves that it takes a intelligent thought process to make an amino acid. Okay, so that doesn't prove that life started from nothing. It doesn't even prove that a, that a amino acid started from nothing it, it, because it just shows that we need a very intelligent thought process behind it. So we had this and it's been coming out. Here is what our science says. Be careful when you hear things that go contrary to the Bible. You know, the other realm that we hear all kinds of crazinesses from is the so-called so sciences of sociology and psychology. You know, both of those have very weird things. Once in a while they get things right, they match the Bible. <laughs> Usually they don't match the Bible and, they, and whatever God says is good or says is bad, they're saying is good and normal. Be careful. Everything we have, if it's true knowledge, must match the scriptures. Otherwise, it is false knowledge. And you know, we talked about this so often. God calls things sin, and we need to be calling them sin. You know, when God says that you should not steal, he means don't steal. In our psycho psychology world, they, they call sin kleptomania. You know, you're, you're, you don't have a sin issue of stealing. You are sick. You just can't help yourself. You see something and you just take it away and they excuse it because they'll say you are sick. Well, that's not what God says your problem is. He says your problem is a sin issue. Okay? We need to keep this in mind. Even though the world is trying to redefine sin as sickness, it's still sin. The drunken person does not have the problem of sin according to the world they are an alcoholic now if you drink long enough you do get a physical addiction to it and a psychological addiction to it but you caused it by continuing in that process that put you there and it started out making a physical choice to do so now you can get to the point where it's no longer a choice it's just something that has taken over in your life if you're using drugs to the point of being addicted you made a decision to keep using something you shouldn't have been using in the first place and got yourself addicted. So yes, it comes to a physical, mental addiction to it, but it started out by a sin choice. We do this because sin always demands more. No matter what the sin is, okay? We have somebody who starts out being a liar. They lie a lot. And what does the world eventually say? They're pathological liar. They just can't help themselves. If they open their mouth, they're going to be lying. Well, that may be true, but it is still a sin. Okay. We need to understand God calls things sin. We cannot redefine them and say they're not sin. And why is the world trying to redefine them into sickness? Because you can't judge somebody for being sick. You know, and you'll even hear it. If you talk to enough people about it, they go, well, I just have a sickness. You wouldn't, you wouldn't judge somebody who had the flu and say that they, they were sick. No, I wouldn't because that's something they couldn't, couldn't help. You know, that is definitely a virus that caused a problem that they did not have any control over. But God says these things are sin. We need to be careful to say, God, I agree with you. Now, that gets very difficult sometimes when we're studying the Word of God, and all of a sudden we're reading a verse, and we didn't know we had a problem. And all of a sudden we read a verse, and God says, I want you to take this out of your life. 
been there, done that many times in 48 years, and going, uh, God, I didn't even realize that was a problem or, or, or an issue. And he goes, yep, I want you to get it out. Oh, it's hard sometimes when you get those things, and God says, are you willing to get rid of this? Are you ready to get rid of this? Our decision, if we're going to follow what Timothy says, guard it. Guard his word and say, God, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. I don't know how I can do it. I need your help. And then once you get over that, God will give you something else to get out of your life. <laughs> then he'll give you something else. You know, remember we've talked about Paul said toward the end of his life, I am the chiefest of sinners. Now many scholars believe he was looking back and saying, you know, I really started out in a bad place. The, and when you look at that verse, it is not saying I was the chief, chiefest of sinners. It says I am the chiefest of sinners. Why? Because he started seeing himself the way God sees him or sees himself. When we start seeing ourselves the way God sees us, if he saw us without the blood, <laughs> we would go, God, man, I am totally messed up. Even if I've been walking with him for 50, 60, 70, 120 years, I still look at my life and say, man, I've got so much more that has to come out of my life. And God's saying, yes. Because in we're told in the Old Testament, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? When God really shows us how deceitful the flesh is, it can be scary. God, look at this. I've, I've done so much. I've followed you as close as I can. And look at this mess down here. You know, and remember, I've talked about that, you know, the different, different sized light bulb in your, in your heart. And God is very gracious. He starts with just a little candle and say, okay, clean up what you can see. You know, these really big sins that you have, get them out of your life. And then you put the 40-watt bulb, the 60-watt bulb, the uh, 100, 150, 200. Eventually, he'll start firing in this million candle power light in there and saying, okay, see how awful your heart really is? Our heart, when, when we start really understanding our heart as individuals, you know, it keeps us away from self-righteousness. You know, you know, I can't look at my life and say, God, I've got, it. I've got everything put together because God's going to show you. Let me just show you what's in your heart a little bit. I'm glad he doesn't keep that light on all the time because it would be very hard and very depressing to see, okay, God, I've, I've come so far. Oh, man, look at all that mess down there. But, you know, it's amazing how evil our heart is. No matter how long you've been walking with God, to find yourself getting involved in gossip, Getting involved with tearing somebody down in the middle of a conversation because you haven't guarded your lips, your mouth. James told us that the person who can control their tongue is the same person as a perfect person. Most of us get in trouble with our tongue more than anything else. We get involved with vain babblings and profane things. You know, we find, we, we get that little conversation, it just gets a little on the risque side, just pushing the, maybe not crossing the boundary into obscene, but coming really close, you know, where we, everybody knows what we mean, but we didn't say what we meant, you know, we start tearing people down behind their backs, you know, watching our tongue. Oh, that really shows where we're at, doesn't it? He says, by what you say, people will know what's in your heart. You know, your heart will revi reveal who you 
are. Which is why I say for most of us, you know, if you hang out with somebody for hour, two hours, three hours, did God and Jesus ever come up? Did anything spiritual ever come up in the conversation? If not, you have to say, how important is God to them? And that doesn't mean you have to be speaking about God every time you're speaking to somebody. But, you know, when you're talking to somebody, how important is God to you and how important is it to them? You know, if you spend a lot of time with somebody, do, does God come up at all? With your, with your spouse, does God come up? Do you bring up praying together? Do you bring up studying the word? Do you discuss what you've heard from the word? Or is it God just kind of a background personal thing? I've heard, well, God, my relationship with God is personal. I don't talk to anybody about it. Now, that's not the God that talked about in the Bible. He's so real, he wants to be talked about. When we read the Bible, how many times do we read that somebody goes back and gives the history? You know, people, when God brought us out of Egypt, he did this, and he, deli he brought us through, and you know, they give us all, you know, several points. And, and during the time of the judges, he did this. And during the time of the kings, he did this. People kept talking about what God has done. What has God done for you? We've talked about this several times. Do you have some kind of thought process, a, a place in your mind, a place on paper where you go, God, this is what you've done for me. You, know, you did this, you did this, you did this. Because when things go bad, we tend to very quickly start remembering the bad. God, what a miserable life. Nothing ever goes right. You've not done anything for me ever. You've just made, gave me a miserable life. And God's sitting there trying to go, well, what did I do last week? What did I do yesterday? What did I do last month? What did I do a year ago for you? When we start getting depressed with what's going on, we need to really look back and say, God, you are precious. The song, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, he's saying, where is our mind? Are we thinking about what he has done. And this is something that's so important that we keep this idea. And then he says, the opposition of science, uh, science or knowledge falsely called. The world has a lot of knowledge that it says, here, here's a bunch of knowledge. Contrary to the Bible. If it's contrary to the Bible, it is not true knowledge. And this one, when it says falsely called, called knowledge is, is the antithesis. The opposite of knowledge is what it really is. The opposite, antithesis of knowledge is what the words are in Hebrew. Or the opposite. Okay? The world has all kinds of worldly knowledge for us. Satan's very first accusation when he was talking to Eve, did God say, okay, did God say that you could have every uh, fruit of every tree? Misquoted. Satan is good at misquoting God, misquoting the scripture. Eve's answer was, we can eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then she added something herself, misquoting God, but we can't even touch it lest we die. Now there's two misquotes there. God never told them they couldn't touch it, but she said, lest we die. Okay, God did not say you might die. He says, if you eat that a tree, you will die. And her statement was, 
You know, we can't eat it nor touch it because we, because we might die. She was not even believing God even before that. Now, did Abraham, Abraham, did Adam give her the wrong information? It is quite possible that Adam gave her the wrong information and, and tried to make it bigger. Don't, you know, don't eat it, but by the way, don't even touch it. And Satan continued, and he continues to this day to lie to us, to twist God's word. And if we don't have God's word in our heart, it'll sound good. You know, we hear things all the time, simple things like, you know, how about this one which we've talked about, the love of money, uh, money is the root of all evil. Okay? And people take that as if, it, if it's in the Bible. You know, and they forget that the word in there is the love of money is the root of all evil. The desire for money itself to, to do, because when you have a great desire for money, you'll do anything to get it. You know, uh, one that's big in the United States, uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, being clean is a good thing. But that's not in the Bible. Okay? Uh, we want to be very careful. Do we know our Bible well enough to know when we are being lied to about what the Bible says? Very important. You know, how do we know? Then he ends up, which some professing have erred concerning the faith? So Paul is going, those who are into vain babblings, profane things, and science or knowledge that's not science, err from the faith. They miss the mark. Why? Because they're not putting God first. We need to put God first in everything we do. As adults, we need that. As teenagers, we need that. As children, we need that. God needs to be placed first in our life because Satan wants to have God at second, third, fourth, fifth. You know, if he can get God pushed down the, down the road a little bit, he wins. We will miss the mark. We will not follow him. We will not be obedient. This is important for us because it is so easy to miss the mark. We've talked about this. We have problems within ourselves to miss the mark. Okay. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is a big problem we have in our own life. I see things that I want. I, I have things that my body wants. And then, you know, all the desires that I have don't even need Satan to give me a hard time. The sin inside of me will cause me to fail God if I don't guard what he says, if I don't make him first in my life. You know, and we want to be able to say, God, you are first. You are what's important. And again, how much time do we spend with God? You know, and I just want to challenge you. you know, one of the things I heard uh, challenged one time in a message is, keep a logbook on how you spend your week when, one week and see what you do for a week, and it might surprise you. You know, how, much, how much time do you spend in your Bible? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend watching, watching TV? How much time do you spend sleeping? Yeah. Some people hardly spend any time sleeping. Other people spend lots and lots of time sleeping. Some people watch a lot of TV. Some people watch no. Some people spend all their time on their hobbies. But it would be very interesting, and I challenge each one of you, keep a log one week and see where you're spending your time. Total it up at the end of the week and see how much time did you spend with God? How much time did you spend on TV? How much time did you spend reading newspapers, magazines, whatever it might be? 
Take a, take a look at your life and be honest before God. Not that you have to share it with anybody else, but be honest before God with where you're at. And don't change a week just because you're logging it. <laughs> you know, okay, God, I spent, wow, God, I spent 120 hours this week uh, reading my Bible. <laughs> okay, what do you normally spend on your week reading your Bible? Okay, uh, but just as a challenge, think about that. He says, many which are professing have, have erred concerning the faith. What faith? The faith in God. And then he says at the very end, grace be with you. I love the idea of God's grace. Grace is getting everything we don't deserve. You know, what a precious thing that God gives us. Gives us what we don't deserve. Yeah. And I've heard so many people, they'll say th simple things like, well, you know, if they just acted a little better toward me, I'd give them grace. Well, then that would not be giving them grace. That would be giving them what they deserve. God wants us to give grace to one another. Why? Because he gives us grace. He gives us grace so that we can give grace and love to others. You know? One of the things that I have seen over my lifetime, many, many Christian groups and churches try to get people to change by piling a bunch of rules and laws on them. Rules and laws kill. The letter of the law kills. We want to be very careful with that because God is not looking at what can I do to make myself look good. Because God sees through that anyway. He goes, I know that you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And again, that doesn't mean that the good is bad. Okay? God expects us to change, become more like him, but he doesn't want it to be my flesh disciplining itself to look good. He wants my flesh crucified and him living out of me. And as he lives out of me, I will do more and more righteous things and be more and more like him not because I'm sitting there with a whip and chair putting my flesh into the corner and disciplining my flesh, but because he has killed the flesh and making me brand new. So he says, grace be with you. Not just you, Timothy, but all those that are, gonna, that are going to read these words. God's grace upon us. God's grace living in us. You know, in John we're told, he first loved us, and we love him. We love him because he first loved us. Because he loves us, then we show that love to other people. He gives us grace so that we can give grace to others. He puts peace on us so that we can help others get into that peaceful place. Very important that we live out our life before God. And then he says, Amen. Now, Amen is a word that we use all the time to end our prayers. It's a Hebrew word that is, you know, not translated in any, any language. If you go anywhere, Amen is what they end their prayers with. It's an amazing word. It's one of those words that hasn't changed. Alleluia is another one of those words you'll hear in just about every language out there. It's, it's uh, pray, praise the Lord, you know, uh, Hale, Hale is to praise and Yah is God, praise God. 
you know, so when you're saying hallelujah, you're, you're saying praise God. Amen literally means so be it. Or let it be so. Or truly, if, especially if it's at the beginning. If you said at the beginning, it's, you know, let this be so. Truly, truly, I'm saying at the end, it said let it be so. When we close our prayer with amen, we're saying, God, let these words be so. So when you're praying and you're going to say amen, make sure that it's something that you want God to, to truly be godly. You know, make sure that you're looking at God because this is important for us. How godly are we? Are we living for God or are we playing games? Many Christians are playing games with God. And we want it to be something that's real. How real is it? If it is real, we won't step away from our, our relationship with God because it is real. I love being in a fellowship with God. It is so much fun to be in fellowship with God most of the time. Except when I get caught up in vain babbling and empty, empty thoughts. And all of a sudden, I'm, I get caught up in the middle and all of a sudden, God speaks into my ear saying, uh, what do you think you're doing? What, what is going on? Why are you speaking in this way? <laughs> I hope many of you have had that experience. Like, okay, God, I just don't understand. But, oh, you're right, God. We find ourselves speaking the wrong words, and all of a sudden we get this, what are you doing? How come you're here? All of us have probably been there. All of us have had that opportunity to be there. God honors our direction on what we look at. And, you know, I want to really encourage us as we go through each day. Are we living for God? Are we keeping God in our heart? Are we looking at what God wants to do in our life? How important is he to you? Learn to make him first. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Help each one of us that hear these words to make a decision to draw closer to you. Lord, if there's people that don't know you, we ask that they will commit their life to you. They'll admit they're a sinner, they deserve punishment, and ask you into their heart, and they will talk to another Christian about it. Lord, for those of us who know you, help us to walk close to you and make you number one in all of our life and all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.